Hi, my name is Peter Lindemann, and I'm a project coordinator in the edit program at the Institute for Sexual and Gender Minority Health and Wellbeing at Northwestern University. Welcome to this episode of the Edit Community Spotlight Podcast, featuring a conversation with Heather Krina from Scarletine. For those of you who don't know, Scarletine is a website that positions itself as sex ed for the real world by offering inclusive, comprehensive, and supportive sexuality and relationship information for teens and emerging adults. Heather will be talking with Edit Research Assistant Rachel Morrow and the Institute's Outreach and Operations Coordinator, Bethan Hamilton, both of whom have backgrounds in providing sex ed to youth. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Heather about how sex ed, specifically queer sex ed, is most impactful when it's developed by the community and for the community. Well, welcome, Heather. We're so excited that you're here. Um, We're so excited that you're in Chicago and able to join us and uh, visit our office. So you founded Scarletine in 1998, which is 20 years ago, we just realized this morning. Um, so can you talk a little bit about um, the background of starting Scarletine, um, what exactly the site is and why you decided to start it? Um, and then if you want to talk a little bit about, too, how that has changed over the past 20 years, um, what kind of changes you've seen and, you know, how the writing that you um, that you put out has changed, that'd be great, too. Sure. I mean, I think it's kind of like literally the moment that Scarletine happened, I was doing a bunch of things at once. I was uh, teaching in a three to six Montessori classroom during the day. And then at night, I was basically doing uh, sexuality and erotica writing for women for a different site for Scarlet Letters, which is long since gone because Scarletine ate it and all of the rest of my life with it um, really quickly. And so, I mean, it was pretty much, you know, I'm waking up at five, I'm doing this with little children, I'm coming back, I'm doing all of this for adults, I'm getting my three hours of sleep in between. And, you know, so that would have been 97. And really within just a couple of months of having Scarlet Letters up, probably because, one, I mean, there was so little content, any kind of content. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just like sexual content or sexual content that wasn't porn. There really even wasn't that much porn on the internet uh, in 1997 and 1998 that especially having something that was sexual content, but then it was smart sexual content, then it was, you know, kind of gender geared that letters from teenagers started coming in. And my first inclination, especially too, like I I grew up in and around public health, so that's also in the mix. I mean, this was all baked in. I can't believe I didn't see this coming because in <laughs> hindsight, it all seems really obvious. Um, my first inclination was to refer them but there, really, there just wasn't any. There wasn't anything to refer them to, um, and so a lot of the questions were really. They were simple questions. You know, it would be things like, "How do I use my birth control pill?" or "Where do I get access to birth control?" or "How do I get somebody to do what I enjoy sexually?" and "How do I ask them questions?" or just even stuff that you know you think of as like. 17 magazine questions, right? How do I ask somebody out when I like them? And it's, you know, I mean, that was like really quick. Like, I grew up in public health, you know, I've been around the block sexually. I, you know, I'm a teacher, like, I can do it. So basically, what felt kind of within my purview, I would answer and I would write a letter, and then they, they just kept coming. And so at some point, I got this incredibly naive idea that I was like, well, if I just take a few of these and we'll just do like five pages, we'll just make like a five page sex ed site and they'll have everything they need to supplement everything else. Because again, my experience in education at that time was three to six. I didn't know what anyone was or wasn't getting in high school when it came to sex ed and growing up here on the north side in the 70s was kind of the heyday of a lot of sex that like I think actually stuff that we got in the 70s and the 80s we just kind of have been on a decline ever since and have never quite gotten back up to well the promise of that not necessarily the completion of that and so yeah so I made this five page site because it was going to have everything they needed (laughs) in just five pages Um, and once that went up then then there were a lot more letters. Um, and, you know, the thing is, too, like, I I have colleagues that like doing adult sex education. I actually really didn't like doing adult sex education. Some of it has to do with that 
it's a, it's a whole lot different when you have to grapple with people's long established patterns and beliefs. And one of the things that I think is most satisfying with working with young people is that you're coming in from the front and from the start. And so certainly there are still even, I mean, by the time somebody's 15 or 16 in our culture, there are lots of things that we've already inherited, but everybody's minds are still a lot more flexible and squishy and there's still a lot more life experience to be had and opportunities to try something different. Um, that kind of getting somebody to think differently than they did or even just to consider something different than they would is a lot easier to do with someone who is 16 than it is with someone who's 46. Um, and so I think some of it too is Scarlett started asking for so much time, but at the same time, it was actually a lot more appealing and satisfying and interesting um, than what I was doing. And it was, there was a clear need was kind of the other thing as it was one of those things where it was I almost didn't feel like I could walk away from it because in that particular moment in time, I thought if I like if I'm who they have, like I might not be great, but but I'm better than nothing, and I'm who they have. So if I don't keep doing this, I don't I don't know where they're gonna go, which is silly, of course, especially because I think within even that first year is when I mean it's long gone, but Planned Parenthood started Teen Wire, if you remember. Um, so they put a teen set up, sex, et cetera, through Rutgers. An answer came up in, like, the next six months. And so there, I mean, there was clearly a moment. I think probably we all got there in different ways. Um, but so that, you know, so that's where it is. I mean, really within six months, obviously I couldn't do all of this and then have, like, 30, three to six-year-olds during the day. So I had to kind of shift that idea. The funny thing is I remember then thinking I was picking between this and teaching. Like, it just didn't really hit me till later. And then I was like, oh, guess what? It's still teaching. Um, it's just like a really, really, really big classroom. Um, because, yeah, I mean, at this point, we're, we're five to eight million readers a year, right? Which is like, it's actually something I... I I try not to think about that often. Like, all the volunteers do. They're like, oh, God, I'll be nervous. I was like, don't think about it. Just you have to forget it. You have to put it somewhere else. Uh -huh. There's one person you're talking to. That's that's it. Just mm -hmm. focus on them. Um, you know, so there, so I, you know, I kind of, I let, like I said, I let it take over everything else. I was happy to. It's, it's precarious to keep going in that way, but in terms of my desire to do it and my interest in doing it it's never I just had somebody the other day being like do you actually still like your job I'm like I actually still really like my job like I <laughs> never thought I could be doing the same job like literally the same job at the same place for 20 years and be like every day I'm still I'm happy to go to work which is weird um what else how is what we write shifted 20 years is a long time. Well, one of the nice things is it's not just me writing all of it. What I mean, we, It used to be that, you know, we couldn't afford to pay anybody else, and so I kind of felt like it wasn't fair to ask anybody else to write for free. So, so I did all of the writing. So one of the nice things is um, I appreciate that there's a lot more diversity in terms of who is writing it um, now rather than just me, which that was kind of the biggest bummer of having it just be me it's it's only my voice and while so much of this is fact so much of this is also perspective and mm -hmm. I really I really want all of our readers to kind of get as many perspectives um, that are also based in fact as it is possible mm -hmm. um, so it's so it's shifted in terms of that it's more diverse you know it's changed just in terms of the questions I mean I think when you know so this launched in December of 98 and then in 96 was one everybody and I want to blame George Bush for lots of things too so I understand this inclination wants to blame the Bush administration for abstinence only sex ed but it's actually the Clinton administration that started it so 96 was kind of the jumping off point for that and certainly over the years it took a little while I think for it to kind of all of that messaging to sink in and then the lack of factual information to sink in, the lack of inclusive information to sink in. But even within like 10 years of that, the halfway point, so many more of the questions that we were getting um, and the things that people were wanting to talk about. Whereas when we started, I feel like more of it was 
people starting from a place where it wasn't a problem. It was like Mm -hmm. their sex lives are fine or they feel fine about their sexuality, but they want more information or they want to tweak something to make it a little better. Mm -hmm. Whereas, I I mean, it's really clear at this point that a lot of it is, it's it's not fine. People are scared. People are scared to have a sex life at all. Uh, Mm -hmm. People don't have any facts to work with at all. Or we're correcting a lot of information. And I think that's the biggest thing that happened Mm -hmm. um, when abstinence only really took hold. And one of the biggest things we're correcting isn't just tiny facts, but even just discussing that there's a difference between information that comes from scientific process and validating the scientific process which we have to do all of the time. I mean, we will have lots of users kind of ask, well, how do you know that that's true? And we'll say, well, it's from this reference book. Well, how do they know it's true? Well, if you look at the back, it's from these studies. Um, How do you know those studies are right? And we have to say, so there's this thing, the scientific process. Maybe you've heard of it. Or maybe not. Mm-hmm. And so you're having to still have that battle of, well, it doesn't matter if, if what science says conflicts with someone, what someone else says is moral or someone else says is right or better than on science. Good times. <laughs> Good times in the end times. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, that's just really fascinating to think about not just providing providing facts but having to convince people that they are facts mm-hmm. that they are scientific that mm-hmm. whatever worries you're feeling you know there there is an, a factual answer and that's a whole nother process yeah well and even when you kind of talk about what we have to what we have to work with with sex ed in schools it's even more than a lack of sex ed so when we see that science programming is mm-hmm. cut or it's not good. I mean, that's one thing. Like, I, if I want to tell someone what birth control method is effective and they don't have a good science education, I actually can't hmm. do my job very well because hmm. then it just comes down to do they believe me or not? Hmm. And that's, you know, that's not ideal. That's yeah, not right. really what we'd want. We'd want them to feel an understanding that it's different than that they trust me versus mm-hmm. somebody else, that they have this thing that's separate. Yeah. Um, from anything emotional or interpersonal, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, can we talk a bit about the LGBTQ specific content of the website? Uh, I'd love to hear what your approach has been to developing that content, and are there certain sur- sources or research that you turn to? Has it been more reflection of experiences through direct service? Has it been a process of bringing in diverse perspectives and new writers? But how do you develop all the content that's really? geared specifically towards LGBTQ needs. Sure. You know, what's funny, what's funny when I started this is I didn't even I didn't even think that I needed to announce like this is a queer person running this site. Like it just seemed like I wrote it from my I came at it from my perspective and I wrote it from my perspective no matter who was asking the questions and then um, and then, you know, within a couple of years we would see things that would be like Hey, just so you know, by the way, Scarletine is like inclusive, and I'd be sitting on the other end. And I'm like, of course, Scarletine is inclusive. Like, I don't. How could I not? How could it not be? Like, I don't understand how it could not be. Um, except that, of course, it. You know, um, in in what ways it was inclusive? Definitely, I think it was more in ways that it met on my axes, right, and less in ways that it didn't necessarily do that. And so, um, you know, it took us a while to kind of even, to kind of even put it that way, right? Like, again, to me, it's everybody gets all of the things, and it's kind of more that I was asking kind of the more like binary straight users there to kind of have to grok with what we were doing than the other way around, which I actually I think is really good. I think there's kind of a, also a weird. I always feel like I hope I'm not like telling a secret that I shouldn't be telling, but I don't really think that America quite realizes like more of the people providing sex education for the young people in America are like mm-hmm. queer or trans or gender queer mm-hmm. than not. Like I said, I'm like, I don't know if I'm like, I don't, I Secrets hope out. I know. Right. Like, and I'm like, I mean, as one of those, as, as, you know, as a member of minority in those things, I want to be like, hey, we're doing it. Stop giving us so much grief because we're educating mm-hmm. your children, man. But on the other hand, I don't want us to be shut out, right, is the other thing. So I'm never, I'm never quite sure what the things do. So much of what we do from the very beginning 
and all the way through, and a lot of this kind of has to do with me uh, kind of working in Montessori and unschooling before and the way the site started is we do what users ask for. And sometimes those asks are super explicit. I mean, sometimes it will literally be, I was looking for an article about X, I can't find it, and we're like, well, I guess we're writing that. Sometimes it will be less explicit. We have to just kind of observe and pay attention to trends in behavior or things that are wrong. You know, when we're hearing from a bunch of users, for instance, that there's less condom use, obviously we have to say, okay, what's going on here? And then we look, is this about access? Is this about problems with communication? Is this about a, an assertiveness or a confidence issue? Again, is this about people not believing that condoms are actually effective at doing things in the first place? Um, and so, so, so much of it with this, like with anything else, um, really comes down to just observing and listening. And sometimes that is coming from... Um, interactions right on the site. Sometimes it's from in-person outreach. Sometimes it's from paying attention um, to social media. So that, you know, that's kind of where it is. We, one of the nice things about not um, having funding, (laughs) which is a weird (laughs) thing to say, is that we have a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. And so, like, whereas in another situation, I might have to say, well, we've made this content, our users asked for it, but also this NIH thing, blah, 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 said that we need this, and so that kind of gives us the credibility that whatever institution or foundation wants. We, we don't have to do that. My answer has always been, we have this because the young people that we're talking to asked us for it, or the young people that we're talking to otherwise expressed a pretty clear need for it. By and large, that's how it's been. Some of it, too, we try really hard. Like, I'm, I'm 48. I think the next oldest person on our staff is 34, but almost everybody else is under 30, and that's, um, you know, honestly, I don't think it's ideal for Scarletine to have a 48-year-old ED. We're a youth-serving organization. Um, no one else wants my job or my crummy paycheck, though, so so everybody's stuck with me, I guess. Um, but also our, our volunteers and our staff are kind of another group that also, what, you know, they'll say they want to write something, and sometimes it'll be because this thing happened to me last week. Mm-hmm. I want to write this thing, and then they kind of become the user that influences what the content is. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. So we've talked about how Scarletine rose kind of right after abstinence-only sex education started and how there's kind of been, um, you know, Scarletine is responding to the needs of the users. So we're wondering if you see sites like Scarletine and these other sexual health online resources um, as a stopgap until we kind of figure out sex education in schools. Um, or do you think that there's a specific advantage to having these tech platforms um, that can kind of go hand in hand with sex education? My, you know, my, my sense of things is that I always want sex and relationships education to be all of the places it can possibly be just because we don't, we don't know which access point or, um, you know, which medium that it's in is going to be the best fit for any given Person. I mean, just like there's no one educational method or model that works for every learner. I feel like there's no one uh, setting or media that works for every learner when it comes to sex ed. I mean, I think the other thing, too, is that the school sex ed is tricky in more ways than I think people even think about. Again, I, I come to all of this from, like, I'm a John Holt uh, A.S. Neal, Maria Montessori person, right? And so I, I frequently sob at the state of public schooling in America just from, just from even kind of the social setup. Like even before we get to getting good curriculum when it comes to sex ed, middle schools and high schools, public middle schools and high schools are so socially toxic Um, in the United States that even if you have really good programs, it'd be really hard to deliver them and have students interacting with them in real ways that you're going to have a a beneficial experience because for whom is it safe to ask questions and have honest and candid discussions in a classroom of 30 of their peers 
in your average high school in America. Not a lot of people, not the people that actually need sex ed the most is kind of the other thing that happens. And then, of course, we have the other thing where, you know, as many as 15% in some communities of young people aren't in school. Uh, and won't be in school or aren't in school regularly enough to catch that Mm -hmm. two-week period because it's usually a really short period for sex ed to get any of it or all of it. Um, And so you kind of have to think about that as well. And that's before we even get to who's homeschooling um, or part-time schooling. But, but I also think that even when you have, I mean, like you're talking about what you refer to, we all kind of work together, even in schools like, you know, I've done some work with some alternative schools that have the kind of social environment where you actually really can do great sex ed, but still they're wanting to connect to other resources. And you're wanting to have other resources for a bunch of reasons. Even if we had, I mean, let's kind of, let's be in utopia for a minute, just because it's nice, and say that, you know, schools are better social environments and parents are more supportive of sex ed and we have good people teaching sex ed, not just some poor PE teacher that really didn't want to do it but got stuck with it. And we've got a great (laughs) curriculum and everybody's invested and they want to do it. It's still, you're going to have students who want to learn more outside of school. You're going to have students who, for whatever reason, the way it's being delivered is just not the right thing. You're going to have students that have extra questions and they would prefer to ask them outside of school Um, and so that's kind of the other thing is we get to do a lot of things that even in an ideal situation where you have school sex ed you can't do we have a question line somebody can wake up in the middle of the night at three in the morning with a question and get it answered I mean I, I, I hope that they don't text their teacher at three in the morning with that question so I feel I don't feel like it's a stopgap I feel like I feel like we need it regardless. Right. I mean, I don't even I don't even know how long it would take or what we'd need to do. And again, my standards are very high to get what I think would work um, with school sex ed, especially. You know, every time we get an administration that we can start to get there to we wind up with another one that we're going to have to start all over again um, by the time we get there. But I I don't think it's stopgap. I th- I think that we I think. Tech can offer some unique things um, that you just, you're not going to get in school, or maybe somebody doesn't even want um, Mm -hmm. in school is kind of the other thing. Some of it also, too, is just how you you communicate and how you act when you have it, especially when I, like I did a program for a little while um, through the Goodwill in Tacoma and Washington, and they were GED students, and just the ways that they wanted to ask questions would be borderline appropriate in schools, right, or get them in some kind of trouble. It would just, it would be problematic, but we're not in that same social situation, and so that means that I can talk to them in a way that they better understand. They're more likely to actually learn and retain the information. Mm-hmm. Rachel and I were talking bef- um, earlier in the week about it's not like you're just you just become sex educated, right? It's not like okay, you you did the lesson, you're good. Oh, like, it's lifelong. Right. I mean, that's the other thing, right? It's like you have time. your sex ed, and now you're done with your sex ed. <laughs> right. One of the things that I like best about how long we've been around is that in our direct services, we will often see a pattern where somebody came in with a question, and they were 15, 16, 17, and maybe after that, usually once they realize they can get a question answered, they come up with a couple more. They're like, oh. Wait, I got two more. Is that okay? And we're like, really, we're here for all of them. I mean, you can just keep asking. Um, But they'll do that, and then often we won't see them again. But like a few years from now, they'll show up and be like, ah, you know what? I had this thing, and I remember that this is here. And it's they're in a different life phase, right? Maybe those first questions were kind of body-related, and then these next questions are identity-related or they're about... Um, they're there about relationships. And then sometimes we've now we've been around long enough that we've definitely had some people that then we see them 15 years in and they're here because they're parents, mm-hmm. and, which is like, it's so good. I mean, like, it's really, it's really, really, really good. So, I mean, that's kind of the other thing, too. And that's also still, it's not like, that's also part of sex ed is even yeah. then mm-hmm. your parenting. That's another way that this is part of your life. So, right. for sure. I think about that a lot with Scarlet Teen. I know teen is in the name, and it's kind of the target audience, but I'm always wondering, you know, what age ranges are actually visiting the site right. and using it. I know that it's people of all ages. You too. know, even that name is funny because the reason that we have it and the reason that it 
it was a five-page site. It's one of those people that wrote in a letter because the site that they were writing it through was Scarlet Letters is they said, you should have a Scarlet Teen. And I was like, okay. And now later on, I was like, well, if I had known it was going to be like a thing because people were like, what does that even mean? And I'm like, "Mm." and I don't remember her either, which always makes me so sad that I'm always like, if you're out there, you need to like wave your hands. Good job. Look what you did. Um, Just for asking for what you wanted. Well done. See what happens when you ask for what you want. Um, See what happens. But um, we, 15 to 25 is generally kind of what we um, aim for. But that keeps extending is the other thing. I mean, you know, the experience of adolescence, especially in the West anyway, is definitely changing and getting older and older. And in direct services, what we... We've always had an age that's a cutoff, not to say we won't answer your question, but to say you need to know that when there's a queue of people, you come last, right? So everybody younger than you comes for, like, we'll get to you, but just understand this is not really for you, and so the people it's really for need to be put first. Um, And, yeah, I think that was, like, 25, 10 years ago. It's 30 now. Maybe it'll maybe it'll extend. Actually, kind of our traffic and direct services have changed that we don't even need to do that quite so much anymore. But um, yeah, I, I do think usually the average age of user is seventeen and a half, um, which is kind of which is kind of fascinating, especially when you have people that are resistant about education for like all kids. You know, they always say kids, and I'm thinking, you know really like most of our users are right at or even just past the age of majority so a lot of them are adults you might have feelings about that or whatever what adulthood even means Mm -hmm. fair but um yeah we want to take a quick moment to thank cosmic johnny the band you hear playing right now for writing and recording our theme music their debut album, Good Grief, is available on Spotify. So you were uh, kind of touching on this, but I'd like to get more into the approach you take to community engagement. Um, you know, at Edit, we focus a lot on community-engaged research and making sure that we're meeting the needs of the communities that we work with. And you talked about you get a lot of questions that come in. Uh, you have experiences in the field with direct service. But are there other ways that you try to really stay in touch with um, the needs of the users and what, like, how you decide what type of content you're developing? Um, I know I've seen polls on Scarlet Teen. Right. So what are those sources that yeah, you're pulling stopped, data from? Had to stop doing polls yeah. for a while. I mean, really, most of it is if you're not a Montessori head. The way that Montessori works, right, is that we have all of our materials, uh, and then we will guide children, in this case, uh, to them. We teach them things, and then we watch them. We watch what they do with things, and either that says maybe we need to represent that material, or maybe it's time to move them on to the next one, or maybe that area of the classroom is not for them right now, period. They want to be over here. Um, And it's, you know... To me, that, I mean, and of course it does, what did it come out of, but that absolutely informs all of the way that we do this. I, just even myself, um, setting aside our other staff, spend a lot of time there. I don't think there's been a single day of my life that I haven't read through everything that's on the message boards and everything that was in direct surveillance. Well, it's it's not as busy as it used to be, so I don't want to make it sound like like this epic epic <laughs> job. It's not that, and I'm a very fast reader. Um, but every but every day I'll go and I'll look. Every day I'll usually just kind of look through enough of our social media and kind of mentions and replies to our social media to get a sense of what's happening there. Um, Usually where that gets shot to again, we have kind of some back-end channels that we do with staff is where um, sometimes if I just have a burning desire to make something because I am the AD so I (laughs) can make some executive decisions, I'll go ahead and do it. But a lot of the time it'll be when new ideas start to happen with that, it'll be something that I'll throw to staff to say, has everybody else known? Like, I'm noticing this. Mm-hmm. Did everybody else notice this? I think we need this from these things I'm noticing. Do you agree that's the thing we need? Or if not, let's talk about it. Is there somebody, is there is anybody here really hot to do this? That's the other thing I always kind of want to make sure that I'm mentoring well and not taking 
um, all of the good opportunities. I want to take some of the good ones for myself. I won't lie, but I don't want to take all of them. Try, try and share. Um, and so, and that's how it works. And we sometimes will use our, um, like our message boards or other things. We'll go ahead and say sometimes to our users, we think that we're, we're going to start working on this piece. Does it sound like a good piece for you? If it does, is there something you would want to see in this piece? You don't want to see in this piece other things like this? Have things been missing? Um, sometimes we've even kind of workshopped it a few steps more than that. If it's something big or we're feeling particularly uncertain or like we don't have enough feedback, sometimes that's another one that we can throw to our social media to even just say we're working on this thing and we're feeling a little bit lost. Um, bring it in. And there's, you know, I, I think that, I think it's important to note that that's, that's not perfect, right? I mean, we're still, who gets represented is then, well, one, who's aware that we exist at all, but then who is also speaking up about it. Um, and so, I mean, I feel like it's also a given that we're, we're going to be missing some people. I'm not entirely sure how we'd catch those people. That doesn't mean I won't have the answer to that question maybe eventually um but that's and and to me too that's just that's us I, th I think I've also kind of always felt like the few other things that are kind of out there online I can tell rely way more on especially if you know their funding is foundational on what the CDC is saying right now and you know on all these things and where the where the money is for mm -hmm. developing that kind of content that I've, I've always kind of felt like it's safe for us to rest assured that that way of figuring out what's needed and should be made is taking, like, mm. somebody else has this, we can go ahead and have our way. Because, of course, the nice thing is, is that we're not, we're big fans of sending people to other places. Like, we've never, ever tried to just keep users at Scarletine. Mm -hmm. I mean, if that's the only place they feel safe and they want to be, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's actually really not ideal. I want our users to learn how to research other places. I want our users to find the very best place for them. And if we're not it, I don't, I don't want them to be here. I want mm -hmm. them to find where it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and on this point, have you seen the needs that are expressed either through the message boards or uh, the live chat, things like that, are they reflective of changes in media or, or any things that are going on in current events? Like, for example, with the Me Too movement, right. have you seen a change in questions that come in or in topics that users are raising? You know, usually when things are influenced by kind of bigger cultural change like that, it takes a while. Mm -hmm. um, not mm -hmm. always. Like, even with Me Too, like, we're kind of ready, you know, and it was one of those things where it's like, let's evaluate the content that we have right now to make mm -hmm. sure that already, like, if people... Because one other thing to say is that our direct service is way less than 1% of the traffic that we get in the day. So it's a little bit tricky because we have to know that most people that come are coming to Scarletine aren't getting in touch with us. They mm -hmm. aren't talking right. with us. They're just going to go and they're going to find what they already Look find there. Yeah. So we right. want to make sure, like, this is happening. Do we have enough to answer people's questions who won't actually yeah. ask us mm -hmm. directly for it? Um, but, when, but when we start to get asked... It, it seems to take it seems to take a while, and I think that some of it too is that you know, especially with our younger users, they're not necessarily as aware of the impact of those kinds of cultural changes and moments on their lives or behavior at the time. Mm -hmm. Like it can take a little while. In hindsight, I think is a little bit more helpful with that to be like, oh, when I started noticing that was when this happened. Yes. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so we've talked a lot about providing users with information and like teaching young people. Um, how do you approach the challenge of not just providing that information and the knowledge, but actually connecting that with tools and strategies for people to make um, healthy decisions in their lives? Um, so what are your strategies for writing content to kind of connect the dots between knowledge and action? Well, hmm. I mean, some of that is tone, right? Some of that is just in making sure, like, we try really hard to strike a balance in our content so that 
there are a lot of facts and there's a lot of information there, but in there there's also a lot of encouragement to use those facts yeah. and a lot of encouragement to just, you know, to, 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 for, for a reader to take them through their own lens, right, and then filter them through their own life and figure out where they go. We also do a lot of reminding of the, like, we, you're reading this, if you want to talk more about what this means to you or you didn't understand some part of it or just the way that it was presented is not your way, like we are literally right here, mm -hmm. right this second as you are reading this thing um, to come and talk to us with. And sometimes that will happen. We do, um, we have a live chat three afternoons a week and one of the kind of cool things that will sometimes happen with a longer discussion in there is someone will ask a question and we'll say you know we actually have this piece that's like exactly that question do you want to go take a few minutes go read the piece we'll just stay right here and then when you're done reading the piece we can if you still have questions or you have different questions or whatever and sometimes that'll That'll bounce, but there'll be a few different things that they're reading in between these things. And it's, you know, it's, I don't know, it's kind of an interesting moment, too, to kind of think, I'm just going to hang out. I'm just going to have my coffee <laughs> while they go over there and do their thing, and they're going to come back. It's nice, actually. I like it. Um, but it's also, too, like, they're... One of the things that we know from the very beginning of Scarletine is that our users like the tone and the tenor of it. They mm -hmm. like that even when it's an article and it's not an advice column like they started with, it feels like someone is writing a lot, like yeah. it feels like a warm does, yeah, letter to them and everyone feels emotionally supported. And I think that's kind of the other thing that we always try and remember is that this is a really emotional experience for people a lot of the time, especially if they've never had any of this before. And then they come in, of course, now it's not five pages, right? It's mm -hmm. thousands and thousands <laughs> of pages. And so they come, and especially if you came and you thought, maybe like I did, that you won't, it was all five, five pages of information is all you need. And then you see that there's something that big, which says to you clearly, wow, five pages isn't what you need. Mm. That's actually overwhelming. I think sometimes mm, to true. even be like, Oh God, right. How will <laughs> I ever know part. any of this? Like, well, that's another thing that happens too. And so a lot of it is just that. And then it's, again, it's kind of, if, as long as we can, when we can rather get users connected to us in direct services, we can do follow-ups. You know, we can mm -hmm. go back in a thread and be like, we've been thinking about you the last couple weeks. How are you doing with this now? And really kind of follow it up. And that's what's most ideal. Like I said, I wish that I wish that were a larger percent of our traffic. I wish that were more than less than 1% of our traffic mm -hmm. that we got to have that relationship with. And I think that's one of the things that I don't know, it's sort of the mysteries that we need to kind of solve um, and the codes that we need to crack to say, how can we get how can we get more people that are reading to go ahead and brave, because it is a thing to brave, even in a mm -hmm. space that feels pretty safe, interacting so that we really can. I mean, like when you were talking about being able to follow the same group for four years is heaven. That's fantastic. That's what you want for some of this. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Kind of sort of. Maybe. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Well, going off of that, too, like, how do you think about measuring success in terms of the work that Scarletine's doing? Because it's got to be really hard. You know, it's not like you have access to data of, like, oh, this many users, you know, um, like, you don't know anything about STI rates. Or, right. like, sometimes a lot of the information, you know, is aimed at increasing things that are really hard to measure, like right. empowerment or... Right. Um, self-advocacy skills right. so how do you yeah well for us I mean I think one of the trickiest things about this and this is also one of these things that often kind of sets us a part of the kind of evidence-based model right like if what we were trying to do was to lower teen pregnancy or lower chlamydia or HIV rates like we we could figure out ways to measure this but that like yes, I'm here for those things. I want those things to happen. But what we really want for people to happen is we want for people to feel at home in their sexualities. We want people to have healthy sex lives and sexual relationships that they enjoy and that benefit their lives. And that's like the vaguest of vague. Like, I mean, it's just, and it's so big and it's really long-term. Um, and, you know, that was much more of an experiment the first 10 years we were doing this was like, I sure hope that's what this is doing because, boy, I'm 
yeah, I'm not going to be feeling so great if it's not. But we have been doing it long enough that we can, there are plenty of people that get in touch with us or talk about it otherwise to say, this radically changed my life. I have a really healthy mm-hmm. sex life. I really like my sexuality and I feel good about myself and this is a big part of why but it is I mean you'd need such a long time to measure that you need a lifetime to measure that really and of course it's just going to have ups and downs just from life um but also too it's there are it's a lot of different kind of questions than you can answer and they're not qualitative and they're not objective um and so some of it even is that when you're kind of faced with someone asking you to measure the success it's almost the frame from the beginning feels very broken um because to me it's a like well you don't ask me you need to ask somebody that used it a few times and 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 see what they have to say and their idea of what made it successful or not is gonna be different right right? for one person it can be like i needed to figure out where to find a method of birth control i did successful done Mm -hmm. um for other people it's going to be i had to get out of this abusive relationship and then that's a longer period of time and for another one still it's like I needed to go through this entire change with my gender and sexual identity and get on the other side of it, right? And then that's decades. Right. So it just, it's one of those questions that I feel like is a little, it's tricky, and it's especially tricky because it's so often in that super tiny box of what sex and sexual health education is supposed to be. It's not holistic, right? It's all really health uh, physical health, not even mental. Usually, it's not even addressing mental health. Mm-hmm. Physical health outcomes alone. Right. Did you get pregnant or did you not get pregnant? Mm-hmm. Did you get a disease or infection or did you not get a disease and infection? Right. Done. Maybe if you're really lucky, something on the like DVIPV axis will be in there. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Like probably it's just did you get pregnant or sick? And if you didn't, yay for you. Which is not like it's not like everyone has a marvelous sex life because they didn't get pregnant when they didn't want to or they didn't get an STI. Like, everything's great just because of those things. It's like, I wish it were that simple, kind of. It'd be boring if it was, but it's not that simple. So it's it's tricky. I feel like that's one of those things where we're going to need to start getting people to ask that but we but that also means that we need to get people on board to have faith that when people when all of those good things that I'm talking about are happening when people feel at home in their sexuality when people have healthy sexual relationships we need to take it on faith that you are going to have lower rates of unintended pregnancy and you are going to have lower STI rates. When I, there were a few years that I was working at uh, an abortion clinic as a counselor in Washington and because I was doing some ad around contraception and I had asked, was it okay if just for my curiosity, I asked some of these kinds of questions and of Mm -hmm. course, lo and behold, you know, the people that had the hardest time being supported and using birth control methods consistently were not in happy health these sexual relationships mm-hmm. and the people that had assertiveness when it came to safer sex were people that felt more confident at home in their sexuality but that's a you know to any of us who've been in the field that's not a big leap of fa- I mean we know because mm-hmm. we've watched again and again and right. again but then I think when you're at the institutes and the foundations and everything getting them to take that leap is an entirely different story especially because it also asks them to think about sex in a radically different mm-hmm. way than most people think about sex, which is as something that at its best leaves you with nothing bad having happened to you rather than like the, that's not right. at its best. Like that's ground zero mm-hmm. is that nothing bad happened to you. It's like then we want good things to have happened to you mm-hmm. and we want you to have a good time and feel good about yourself and have this be a whole part of your life that you enjoy and that benefits the other parts mm-hmm. of your life. So yeah. it's a it's yeah, it's a it's a long way. I don't yeah. It's and a long that's way such to a go. good point that the the things that are often easiest to measure are those bad outcomes. Oh, and of course, but like I said, they're numbers. That, right, they're numbers. We can have those rates and those statistics, and so that's you know oftentimes where the funding is is to measure those right. things and how often are they happening. But um, you know we we forget that those are those are completely tied together with people's feelings of empowerment, right, and, mm-hmm. and pleasure, and right. all of that. So. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's hard to measure those things, but they're so essential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I find it hard to articulate how important those things right. are too. It it's is really so hard. hard to explain, like, because it's just so important, and it's hard to it's hard for me to articulate that I'm so passionate about this. I know it's the right thing, and to like, okay, I need to break this down right. <laughs> into mm-hmm. why it matters right. that someone feels in control of their body and like mm-hmm. has access to resources, and like you said, these things are hard to hard to measure. Right. Uh, so it's kind of hard to, to go off of this, but thinking about like if if we could research these things or if we could bring um, bring you know really thorough research to to this field and to this work, are there questions that uh, you wish researchers would investigate or dive more deeply into? Are there things that you've gone looking for, research you wish existed that you couldn't find? Mm-hmm. Um, are there things that need to be done that, that aren't being done in terms of sexual health and, and all this? Sure. Well, a lot of it kind of boils back to what we were just talking about, yeah. right? Which is, I'm like, I want I want to know more about people's sexual self-image and mm-hmm. sense of sexual self. I want to know I, I want to know more about how, just how people feel about their experiences. Um, again, regardless of kind of uh, qualitative health outcomes. I mean, I think a lot, one of the other things too is that especially when you're, this is maybe to the side of that, when you're um, working with adolescents, so much of the very little <laughs> research that we have on their sex lives, it only, it's still, still, presents sex as not just only genital, but only intercourse. Like if any bunch of statistics that you look at about adolescence and sex, if it says something about when they've had sex, it means intercourse. If it says how many times Mm -hmm. they have sex, it means intercourse. If it's about who they're having sex with, it means intercourse. I mean, so much to the point, too, that I think even when they're asked, I'm guessing it's probably infrequent how many of them, especially in a research situation, which is very intimidating, say, what do you mean? What do you mean when you say, did I have sex? Or why are you only asking me about right. intercourse? Like, that doesn't make, that doesn't, I mean, I think about, like, I was an early bloomer as a teenager, and it was, and queer, but it took me a a long time to get to that mostly because it seems so boring compared to everything else that I remember when I finally did it was with somebody that's like I guess we should try this eventually do you want to try this I mean we could and then actually at the time I was like that was all right but the other stuff was much more interesting than that so if you don't mind um let's just save that for when we're bored um there's we're tired for everything else but uh but I think you know that's something where yeah I mean that's just another thing especially especially now you know generationally the age at which people who do have intercourse are having intercourse has gotten extended tremendously and if anybody has the idea that that means all of the rest of it is waiting they're wrong so in fact I think you know we're probably having a really common kind of sexual debut in terms of things like mutual masturbation or things like manual sex um, that have probably always happen around the same time but then having sex there without any kind of intercourse has been profoundly extended that period of time do we know anything about this no we usually we do not and of course then what that means in terms of queer youth is we know almost nothing except when they get pregnant from the intercourse Mm -hmm. that they feel like they need to have so a lot of it is also too just kind of looking at this but it's one of those things where I think that's one of those questions adults don't want the answer to like it's just kind of feels like a pandora's box to kind of ask all of those questions because it still is one of those things where adolescent sexuality makes so many people especially then if you do adolescent sexuality that moves back towards childhood that makes so many people so uncomfortable mm-hmm. um you know even one of the bigger things that come up as a concern at Scarletine from users is people who will come in at 16 and say, I just started masturbating. And they're all, and one of the things I always have to say is you probably did not just start masturbating. You probably were masturbating when you were very little and you don't remember when you stopped. Probably you don't remember when you stopped because it was probably traumatic because you probably stopped because somebody told you it was nasty or dirty and you shouldn't do it. And so that whole stuff is out of your brain. But even that, like, you know, I say it in a way that I hope is pretty comfortable, but it really freaks some of our users out. 
I mean, like, they're freaked <laughs> out, right? Like, I mean, they are really, like, what? Right? Like, it's a big, like, it's, it's a really big thing. And they're young people, right? And mm-hmm. so, I mean, so, so much of the information that we have, I also feel like, yes, it's because it's, it's pertinent to certain institutions. And it's not like physical health information doesn't matter. We need this and we need to improve mm-hmm. those things. But I also feel like it's the easier question to ask. Mm-hmm. It's the less loaded information to take in. And we are reluctant to ask the questions that we might not like the answers to or the answers might make us feel uncomfortable or have to face things ourselves or have to answer needs that we don't want to have to answer. I mean, when you're talking about school sex ed, so much of the stalled out fight remains at getting it in high school. But if everybody did the work that I did, they would be like, yeah, so I've got some news for you. Um, we need this in kindergarten, my friend. Like, high school, uh, mm, no. Like, and then, and how do you win that battle? Right. That's really true. So. Yeah. As you were talking about uh, measurement and questions that get asked, especially around intercourse and, and all of that, um, you know, one of the studies that we work on here involves data from the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, mm-hmm. the YRBS, and um, which is pretty good. Yeah, it has yeah. A, a lot of questions, um, covers a lot of ground. Uh, but we're also often in conversation about how to make uh, how to make any survey questions really inclusive of LGBTQ folks' experiences, um, different types of sex. And I was remembering at the very start when you mentioned that. Uh, Scarlettine just kind of started as queer inclusive, like right. it would not be, and right. that that's kind of the foundation. And it's interesting because I think if we if we approach developing questions that are queer inclusive, what we're really doing is making it inclusive for a lot of different experiences and a lot of mm-hmm. different people. You right. know, that like mm-hmm. building that into the foundation of the contents that that's produced or the survey questions that are asked is really helping us just get better data overall mm-hmm. and and help more types of people. Well, and even the foundation, I mean, it's always funny right now to kind of read that all of a sudden now straight people are concerned with gender equity. It's like, wow, (laughs) a little late, guys. Um, But it's one of those things where it's like when we provide relationship information from a queer perspective, it's baked in. Like, and it's baked in as this completely, like, it's an assumed normal, Mm -hmm. right? And when it's an assumed normal, your learners just kind of go along with it because here you are, it's your normal, it's what you're used to. And so, yeah, like what I said is I'm always a little worried that I'm like telling this, it's like, (laughs) why am I the only one saying that there's so many <laughs> queer people doing this? Is it because I'm not supposed to be saying it? No one's, no one's yelled at me yet. So um, I don't think so. But I, you know, I do think there's a, I think it makes sense to kind of say you, some of it is everybody needs to trust us, especially when you consider that when you're talking about queer and trans content and education and information, this had to be DIY from the front. This has always been DIY from the front. So we have, as communities, Mm -hmm. the most practice coming up with things, especially in response to our communities. That's Mm -hmm. what we do. It's what what we've always done. Um, But again, here we are in Trump's America having that conversation. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you again so much for being here. Uh, Thanks for, for sharing all your experiences. Thank you for the 20 years and more of work that you've done on this and developing Scarlet Teen. Um, to wrap up, is there anything that you wanted to plug or any resources or things you wanted to? I don't think so. But on? if somebody wants to talk to us about using the users that we have to do some of these studies, we would be really happy to have those conversations. <laughs> I think you came to the right place. I yep. thought I might have. <laughs> like Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Heather. Be sure to check out Scarletine on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram, and of course at their website, scarletine.com, to learn more about their educational content and their direct services.